Hey, this is Ryan McCormick. Welcome to the very first episode ever of the Examine podcast. I am just having too much fun with this. I know it's complete vanity, but uh, it's been pretty fun having a little hobby here. So I don't have any expensive production team. I don't have a jingle or an intro song, but I do have fingers, thumbs, and a kitchen table. So I recorded you this uh, lead in to the very first episode of my podcast. Here we go. And so with that stirring entry, I think you'll agree it's time to get this thing going. So thanks for listening and no more finger drumming for the rest of the episode. But uh, a frustrated drummer who had to get rid of his drum set that used to be in the basement. Uh, this is about the best I can do is just kitchen tops and countertops and stuff like that. So here we go. Uh, first episode, I'm going to do a little voiceover of the most recent post that I wrote called Monkey Pox. Damn it. And I'm going to just going to provide some commentary along the way. And uh, here we go. So difficult answers to evolving questions about Monkey Pox. What should we do and what should we not do at this time? Uh, instead of writer's block, I've been feeling writer's avoidance. I've been really avoiding reading about this outbreak of Monkey Pox in great detail, but I really had to because of the global health emergency that they announced. And so... With a sense of reluctance and exhaustion and a heavy heart, I present some of my thoughts and guidance in regards to what I've learned about the monkeypox uh, so far. This post and this podcast are going to be longer than most. It, there's just so much to consider. So I'm just going to start with a quick review of the virus and the disease, and I'll go over the efforts to contain it and uh, some ways to avoid getting monkeypox, which is pretty easy right now because it's not that widespread, but you never know in the future. And I'm going to go over some ways that we have to treat severe cases, which is just phenomenal that we have that this early. Um, monkeypox and coronavirus do differ in important and somewhat reassuring ways, such that it's unlikely that this newest outbreak is going to result in a lot of um, people suffering. And well, I shouldn't say suffering, but it won't result in millions dead like the COVID epidemic has, pandemic. Um, and then uh, in part two, I might have a, a little political sort of global health uh, discussion about. Um, that I had with one of my friends who leans conservative and uh, some of the information that they're getting on that side uh, that I wanted to make sure uh, I went over. But for this one anyway, uh, monkeypox basics. So you probably heard the basics by now. Uh, I'm gonna keep this kind of concise. This just comes from the CDC mostly. Monkeypox is related to smallpox. It generally causes much more mild sim uh, symptoms though. It's rarely fatal, unlike smallpox. The incubation period for monkeypox is about five to 21 days I'm hearing with the CDC citing like about one to two weeks, roughly on average. Uh, symptoms of monkeypox can include fever, headache, muscle aches, swollen lymph nodes, chills, exhaustion, upper respiratory tract infection symptoms like sore throat, nasal congestion, cough. And, and so all that sounds pretty standard for the immune system and viral uh, illnesses, kind of like a flu-like thing almost. But then the, the characteristic rash is what really um, separates this disease. Um, severe symptoms can, can um, occur and they can include secondary bacterial infections. Once the lesions and sores appear, bacteria can get in through there and cause a secondary infection, cellulitis, uh, gastroenteritis, severe nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, dehydration, and even pneumonia. Uh, the typical rash is pretty tricky. It, it can look like a lot of different things. And I'm seeing this on social media with some of the physicians that I 
follow. Uh, it can look like pimples, like blisters. It can show up in various areas in the face, the mouth, the hands, feet, chest, genitals, anus. It can be excruciatingly painful, especially when it's in sensitive areas. This rash does go through se several different stages before healing completely. And uh, the monkeypox syndrome lasts about two to four weeks. It's, it's a long one. And symptoms usually precede the rash, but not always. Most experts state that the uh, monkeypox is not contagious until an infected person has symptoms or a rash. So that's a huge difference compared to COVID, uh, where you have the asymptomatic spread, which is really what's been uh, so difficult. Uh, this monkeypox can re remain contagious for the entire duration of the illness. And so someone who is infected, the CDC is really saying they should ideally isolate for two to four weeks. This is going to be super difficult, as you know. Uh, they, they quickly concede how difficult this would be or will be or is, and they offer some other ways to reduce transmission beyond that strict isolation period of two to four weeks. You can see those on the website, and I have a link on the uh, post on the website. Uh, next, I have some photos that show some early, uh, mid, and late stage uh, rashes. Some of them look like vesicular, little uh, pustules. Some look like uh, ulcerations, and then they kind of crust over. They can be in various stage stages of evolution. And uh, unfortunately, these can really like mimic shingles and chickenpox. Uh, in, in the genital area, it can look like herpes, chancroid, or syphilis and even folliculitis, which is more of a bacterial infection. So I know a lot of docs that I've read about are, are, are confused a, a bit how this doesn't have a characteristic um, pathognomonic rash. So just some of my commentary on the basics here. Uh, there's, there's two types of monkeypox in, in Africa primarily, and it's really fortunate that the less severe one is the one that's on the loose right now. Um, there's a more severe one with a much higher mortality rate, and, and God forbid that gets out. Uh, it's also great, I think, that people are not thought to be contagious right now until they develop symptoms. So you have symptoms, you can really uh, be aware of that, stay home, isolate to some degree, and not keep spreading this the way COVID is spreading with those two to three days before people develop symptoms that are really uh, just so frustrating. That's really been one of the Achilles heels that we've had with COVID. Now, diagnosing the rash can be a problem from what I've read, like I said, so it can really mimic all these other rashes. So it's going to cause doctor's offices and urgent cares and emergency rooms and labor and delivery to really err on the side of caution uh, whenever we see a rash. It's going to just kind of freak people out for a while. Um, some patients who are already frustrated with screening questions and protocols that offices and hospitals use to limit the spread of COVID in healthcare settings, they're going to just have another reason to get angry with us, I think. Uh, that we're going to ask about rashes. Uh, we're already asking about fevers and, and potential exposures during our scheduling process. And uh, I'm very concerned that this two to four week isolation period that's recommended, I just don't know how our society is going to do that. I, I think we have to, obviously, but it's hard enough to keep people home for five days or even one day with COVID when they have symptoms, but they, you know, they test negative with a rapid test so that they think they're fine to go back into the world and I can't even imagine with the fatigue that we've had, the disruptions that we've had, if this thing really gets out and we need to isolate for two to four weeks, that's going to be a nightmare. And that's, I think, the biggest Achilles heel of this uh, monkeypox thing. So uh, monkeypox transmission, the next uh, segment here on the article. So this is how it gets transmitted. And, and we still don't know a lot. It's it's We have a good sense of how easily it can spread and what sorts of... Um, high-risk situations are, but it's still a lot to be determined. So that's one of the reasons why the um, WHO 
released their emergency um, notification. I'll, I'll get to that more later. But anyway, monkeypox can spread in different ways that we know about. And it can spread person to person through direct contact with the infectious rash, scabs, or body fluids with contact with, um, that can be also just, you know, sheets and stuff like that. We'll talk about that. Respiratory secretions can also pass this on. This tends to be more like prolonged face-to-face contact though, uh, during intimate physical contact, for example, kissing, cuddling, sex, those type of things. It's not just passing somebody on the street. Touching items such as clothing or linen, linens that previously touched the infectious rash or body fluids. So people who work in um, hotel service and stuff like that, definitely wearing gloves. Uh, I, I think most of them do already. And certainly in clinical settings, we probably need to be careful skin to skin touching during examinations, even um, especially when there's a rash of some sort. I don't think anybody's going to be touching a rash for a long time or has ever without gloves on. Uh, pregnant people can also spread the virus to their fetus through the placenta, and that's definitely not good. So some of my commentary on transmission, I, I think this, once again, could be worse, it could, but it could be a lot better. I don't really like these contact modes of transmission. During the early days of COVID, we all kind of fastidi- fastidiously washed our hands, and that mantra was always there, wash your hands, wash your hands. And we wiped down groceries and countertops, and, and we were always wiping down the office after every patient. But... Um, and these contact precautions are still helpful in preventing COVID spread, but as you know, we've really learned that the most um, high-risk transmission with COVID was via aerosols and the respiratory route. Um, but with this monkeypox thing, if we have to start tightening up our behaviors even more to avoid touching a virus that can survive on surfaces for weeks, they've, they've shown it can, it can live for weeks, uh, that's going to be really, once again, pretty demoralizing. Um, but so far, the amount of contact does matter. So uh, it's not like a nightmare virus like Ebola, where just a few viral particles uh, can cause an infection. Now, monkeypox is not an STD per se, but close contact as in sexual activity involves many of the above means of transmissions. So when people say it's an STD, that's not true. It's just, you know, a lot of the close contact that happens uh, with sexual activity can, can spread it, of course. Cases of monkeypox have been overwhelmingly occurring among men who have sex with men. Uh, But as an article in Nature stated all the way back in May of this year, uh, quote, the most likely explanation for the virus's spread among men who have sex with men groups is that the virus was coincidentally introduced into the community and it has continued to spread there. So that's just where it started. Uh, The Pride Month celebrations and stuff like that happened. And uh, that's just kind of how it went. Um... One reason I worry about this whole thing, I'm just going to, my computer just logged me out here. Uh Uh-oh, technical glitch number one. Okay, we're good. Uh, One of the reasons I worry about this spreading is little children. So this group regularly shares secretions like saliva and mucus. They're bad about keeping fingers out of their mouths. They like to cuddle. They like to rustle, horse around, uh, and they get cooped up in crowded schools and daycares for most of the day. So I'm definitely concerned about that group. If it spreads to kids, especially in daycares, uh, that's going to be super hard. Um, Also, this version of monkeypox, there is some indication that it might be more severe in children. So unlike COVID, which, you know, we could uh, feel a little bit reassured that most kids do okay with this COVID infection, even though some don't, uh, this might be the opposite. Kids might be a bit worse. So uh, too soon to tell, but previous limited experience with monkeypox has shown that children under age eight 
they were actually at higher risk than adults of severe disease. The couple children in this country who have contracted monkeypox from close contact, and at the time of this uh, podcast, if you will, I think there's been about two to three, uh, they're actually being treated with this antiviral medication called T-pox, and I'll talk about that more later. Um, once again, with more commentary about transmission, I'm really concerned about pregnant women and fetal transmission. Uh, monkeypox has been shown to cause, cause stillbirths and fetal injury, and it's one more reason why pregnant women are considered high risk, and I'll, I'll get to that category discussion later. Um, as spread continues for now, mostly among one community, uh, we might take a deep breath, but not too deep, that the monkeypox virus is unlikely to be transmitted through brief respiratory exposures. And it's just not jumping out like COVID did without close contact. Next section, monkeypox containment, vaccination, and treatment. So there really is still hope that we can prevent a massive outbreak. The uh, public health departments are exhausted, but on county, state, national, and global levels, they're really working overtime on contact tracing, ring vaccination of exposures, and voluntary vaccination of high-risk groups with possible exposures, documented or not. The federal government has uh, really stepped up its sense of urgency lately. It's distributed over 300,000 vaccine doses. It's probably up to more than that by the time I'm, I'm recording this, um, but they're really doing uh, a better job now. And they're really securing uh, more vaccinations with this, this one called Genios uh, and treatments like T-pox. The Biden administration is looking for an additional seven to eight billion in funding, according to the Washington Post. And once again, this is a pretty fluid number. I'm not sure where it is uh, today, but as of yesterday, yesterday that's what it, the talk was. Um, but this is going to you know, face a lot of potential political resistance to spending more money. The opposite side of the aisle is going to uh, obviously fight that. Um, testing capacity is also getting much better and more, more robust. We used to have to use some of the county health departments and filter that through the state health departments, and it was just a big uh, hassle, very uh, cumbersome. But now Quest Labs and LabCorp can process samples, and I think they're up to like capacity of 80,000 per day, uh, maybe more. Next subject is vaccines. So this is really the amazing part. There's two repurposed smallpox vaccines that we can use for preventing uh, monkeypox. One's called ACAM2000 or ACAM2000, and the other one's called Geneos. So a deeper look at the details of each vaccine can be found at the CDC. Uh, but suffice it to say that Geneos is the preferred vaccine, and the U.S. was really fortunate to have 370,000 doses that it has, was able to mobilize quickly. Um, there's another almost 800,000 doses that should be delivered by the end of this month, uh, within the next couple of days. And the federal government actually ordered another 2.5 million doses about a month ago. So those are uh, being produced by the manufacturer Bavarian Nordic is the company, and they're based in Denmark. So it's not as easy as the U.S.-based manufacturers that we've had with other things. But uh, hopefully, uh, if this thing gets really bad, we should have a total supply next year of something like 7 million doses. It's estimated that Geneos works about 85% of the time, which is quite good for a vaccine, uh, although clinical trials have been uh, not completed during this outbreak. Uh, many studies about everything monkeypox are getting off the ground or have already begun. CDC recommends that Geneos be given within four days from exposure for the best chance to prevent the onset of the disease. It can still be given for up to 14 days after exposure, and it will likely reduce the severity of disease, even if it does not totally prevent monkeypox. Prior routine vaccination for smallpox, like the older generation, uh, which ended in the U.S. in 1972, I was born in 75, so I did not get this 
Um, so in 72, they stopped doing it because smallpox was pretty much eradicated from the world. Um, it probably, you know, the older generation may have some protection actually, because those smallpox jabs may um, fight off still, there might be some immune memory there against other pox viruses like monkeypox. Uh, researchers studying 1980s African outbreaks of monkeypox found up to 85% protection for those who had had the smallpox vaccine. So, you know, if you had a smallpox vaccine recently, it worked about 85% of the time. That's one of the reasons why we think Geneos is going to work about that same uh, amount. But in the broader world, including Africa, um, everybody kind of stopped routine vaccination for smallpox in 1982. So that's, uh, what, 40 years? Nobody's really gotten a smallpox vaccine except uh, researchers and people who are bioterrorism world, some infectious disease doctors too. Uh, since routine smallpox vaccination has not been received by several generations since, uh, some microbiology experts that I've read speculate that Western countries and probably even the Western countries with the younger generations, they might be even more susceptible if this thing blows up into an epidemic. And uh, But then again, there's other experts that I've read that think that these old smallpox vaccinations might not help at all. Moving on to treatments. There are no treatments specifically for monkeypox, but the FDA and CDC have loosened restrictions on using these smallpox, um, or actually using smallpox medications like Tecoviramat, which is the brand name T-pox. You probably heard that in the news. Uh, this antiviral was developed and approved for treating smallpox, which as you know by now is a close, meaner cousin of monkeypox. Um, the US stockpiled some 1.7 million doses in case of a bioterrorism attack. And T-pox was shown to be very effective at stopping pox virus infections in animal models, like I think it was rabbit pox or something. There's all kinds of just similar cousins of these pox viruses. Um, and it was found to be safe in several hundred human subjects in terms of side effects and adverse effects. Um, now, since I wrote this article, I think like the next day on Friday, the FDA put out a statement just urging caution. Once again, T-pox has not really been thoroughly studied in clinical trials because obviously you're not going to run a clinical trial on smallpox in modern days that's you know, been eradicated. And there's maybe a few samples in high security research labs, which nobody uh, wants to get out into the hands of terrorists and all that. So obviously clinical trials with this thing are not going to be ethical. And it's just going to be kind of like a real world, see what happens with uh, the administration of this to monkeypox as we go. So the FDA kind of threw a little bit of cold water on this, but uh, anecdotally, what I've been reading about with infectious disease docs stories on social media, like Twitter and Facebook, is that T-pox is working really well. Uh, and I, you see that on social media from patients, too. So uh, I listened to an interview on All Things Considered. It's like an NPR podcast. Uh, they interviewed an infected suffering graduate student. So I think I can report this uh, quote. This is what the person said. Uh, monkeypox is the worst pain I've had in my entire life. And because it was like an internal sort of pain, it was very, really hard to deal with. Um, he believes that T-pox helped him get better faster within two days of starting it. Uh, and then he goes back to saying, I noticed that some of the pustules were actually shrinking in size and some of them just kind of like disappeared back into my skin. So they didn't go through the normal progression that lesions usually do. And this is kind of what I'm hearing online too, is that this stuff does work quite well. Uh, it's not widely given. Uh, I'll talk about that later. Uh, there are other treatments available, but most of them have more side effects. I'm not really going to go into them because nobody else is really going to be using those when we have a stockpile of 1.7 million doses of T-pox. Uh, some of the other ones just seem to have too many side effects. So there's a link to the CDC 
webpage about all the different treatments that can be given if you're interested. Um, Ticoviramat, once again, that's the molecular name of TBOX. It's really the best treatment option we have at this time and for the foreseeable future, as far as I can tell. Um, okay, yeah, so most, most cases of monkeypox actually are not being treated right now. It's kind of a combination of the delays and cumbersome process of getting TPOX, but more because most infections are running their course without becoming disfiguring and horribly painful or certainly life-threatening. But many, many do, and you're seeing that online and potentially even hearing from uh, people like in New York City and Washington, D.C. and that sort of thing. Um, there are higher risk groups for severe disease, just like with COVID. And according to the CDC, these higher risk groups are the ones that should really be considered and prioritized for treatment with stuff like TPOX. So here's the groups that need to watch out, especially um, anyone who has developed severe monkeypox disease. So if things are just awful, lots of pain, some of the other uh, just locations of the rash, those people should be treated. Um, also, people who may be at high risk of severe disease include people with immunocompromised and this is actually a really large category. It includes like obvious things like HIV and AIDS, but also many cancers, organ transplants, chemotherapy, radiation, a lot of people who are on the newer TNF inhibitors, uh, people that have psoriasis, Crohn's disease, rheumatoid arthritis would be familiar with these injectable medications. They're, they're used a lot. Also patients on high dose corticosteroids and, and, and the list goes on. Uh, another big one is pediatric populations. Once again, remember how we talked about them being at higher risk. So this is going to be particularly uh, patients younger than eight years of age. Uh, and like I said, the couple that I've heard of are being treated with TPOX in this country right now. Uh, people with a history of certain skin conditions that compromise the integrity of natural defenses. So these would be like people with eczema, burns, impetigo, which is like a staph or strep infection of the skin, uh, concurrent varicella zoster or uh, shingles infections, herpes simplex infections, severe acne, severe diaper rash even in kids psoriasis, anything that like makes the skin barrier already uh, prone to infection. I think treating these folks is going to be really important because the monkeypox could really uh, be synergistic with these other skin conditions. Um, pregnant or breastfeeding women, they are being prioritized for TPOX because of the passage of the monkeypox to the fetus, as well as the risk to the pregnant woman, I believe. But I, I, I do think it's the fetal harm that's really um, the impetus for that. So hopefully, uh, I'm not sure actually if the pregnant person with monkeypox is at higher mortality or severe disease risk, but I would assume so. And finally, uh, people with one or more complications. So if you have developed a secondary bacterial skin infection or some of those other more severe symptoms like severe nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, dehydration, pneumonia, uh, those type of people, uh, once again, just TPOX seems to really turn things around pretty nicely. Uh, and I think I sort of mentioned this already, but people with monkeypox virus, lesion, virus lesions in the eyes, mouth, or other anatomical areas where the monkeypox infection might constitute a special hazard. All right, and then finally, my commentary on all this, my commentary on the containment, vaccination, and treatment efforts. So as a family doc, I'm not on the front lines of treating this yet. So I've been busy educating myself and my patients in the office when they ask, and perhaps listeners here. So I've targeted my most intense counseling towards patients with high-risk behaviors. Um, the gay male patients that I've seen since this started have been mostly in monogamous relationships, you know, average risk like the rest of us. But there have been a few who um, are at higher risk because of the, the certain behaviors and 
um, the present demographics of infection, once again, affecting that community, particularly hard at, at the outset here. Um, but they've been really on board with educating themselves, proactively seeking vaccination and supporting others. Uh, one person I saw this week actually was quite uh, more advanced than I was in terms of my understanding before I did this post and, and really uh, took a whole day to go through all this. Um, I don't think monkeypox will be completely eradicated from the world for a long, long time. It, probably never. It's been percolating in Africa for a long time, in and out of small outbreaks. It can find animal reservoirs. They're talking about rats. I did read something else about how monkeypox is showing up in the sewers and you know rats live in sewers. And so are they going to be an animal reservoir for this thing in this country? So hopefully not. It's one more reason why the WHO declared this emergency because it's just, we don't want it to get endemic in the population here. We just can't give up this early. Um, it's been detected in probably 80 plus countries by the time I'm talking about this so far. And that number alone is like terribly daunting. It really undermines the notion that this problem will remain in one specific community. Um, so if you think you know, you're safe, I can't imagine that it's not going to spill over if it's in 80 countries already. Um, it is still possible, though, to suppress the current outbreak. This is going to be potentially a bit easier than COVID because it's transmitted primarily through physical contact and therefore like social networks and, and the usual tools of public health are going to work better. Um, than with airborne COVID, where it's just you know a total nightmare trying to do contract tracing and um, ring vaccinations and stuff like that. So this this the classic tools of public health, as long as we have the infrastructure, pay the folks to do it, um, respect what they tell us to do, we can shut it down at least suppress it. Um, I also think that. Having this pre-stocked vaccine all ready to go this early in a public health emergency is just amazing. Uh, I'm hopeful that we can subdue and contain this outbreak. The ring vaccination, like somebody who uh, is a contact, you just ring, you vaccinate all the contacts around them that they've been around so that those people can't continue the spread. And doing some targeted vaccinations to high-risk individuals is just so important right now. And I, I'm a realist too, though. I think the cat is out of the bag a bit and everyone's really tired of making sacrifices. I'm really concerned about that. And my biggest concern is once again, as I said earlier, is that if this starts getting into uh, the children community, especially in daycares and stuff like that, that's going to be uh, just, just awful. Um, we do see that another sort of transmission. Um, oh, sorry. If we do see that this sort of transmission in kids uh, is happening as the school year approaches, then we could be in for another pandemic sort of nightmare. I think that's what we're reading online. Uh, I don't expect that swimming pools and will be a major factor. I got a question about that actually this week uh, in terms of transmission, but that yeah, did, did cross my mind too. Um, there's been some pool parties associated with this outbreak and there's another pox virus that we know of, sort of a similar but much more mild, you've probably heard of it, called molluscum contagiosum. And that's actually been suspected in the past as maybe being something that people can pick up in pools. But the CDC points out that other factors like pool toys and sharing a towel are more likely explanations of how molluscum can spread. There was just uh, a pool, uh, like a floaty night at the pool that I was at tonight, my daughter. And I was just thinking, God, if there's monkey pox going around and these kids are all sharing, you know, rubbing up on these uh, floaty toys and rafts and stuff, and they're all just rubbing, you know, you could see how molluscum would spread that way rather than just landing on you while you're swimming laps. So I think that that's probably true what the CDC is saying there. And so I think monkey pox would probably be higher risk, like probably just don't go to floaty night if this thing takes off, which it hopefully won't.
Um, I plan to keep swimming at the pool. It's like my um, one source, one source of like outside risk, very low risk sources of joy. So I'm going to keep doing it. Um, and then finally, I think the uh, the pre-stock treatments, the like TPOX, that's just also amazing. I mean, imagine if we had Paxlovid uh, on day one of the coronavirus COVID mess. It'd be amazing. So Ticoviramat, once again, the uh, generic name is made by an American pharmaceutical company called Sega Technologies, and they only sell TPOX to governments right now. So American doctors must work with the federal government and increasingly like local public health distribution channels to get this medicine for their patients. It was a nightmare for a while. Uh, once again, the FDA has put necessary restrictions on it because it hasn't gone through the clinical trials that most drugs do. Once again, like I said, because it was intended for smallpox as an insurance policy. So it's sort of a doctor's patients are really demanding it. The FDA is trying to be cautious and conscientious and responsible about it, but they have been loosening, loosening uh, restrictions lately to facilitate easier access to the medication. Uh, I put a link on there for healthcare providers if they want to read more about how to get this stuff. But once again, mostly it's going to be distributed through uh, maybe urgent care and emergency room type um, doctors. Uh, the healthcare institution that I work for, we've actually had a virtual meeting already, kind of an emergency uh, thing with slides, and, and we have a plan on how to triage, coordinate, and handle this evolving potential mess. So hopefully treatments will start flowing more easily to those who need it, and we can be valuable partners with the county, state, and local health departments in our common efforts to stop this train. All right, this concludes part one of this series. I'm going to probably put a second part up soon. And uh, once again, I know this is a long podcast. I don't think everyone's going to be 30 minutes. Um, I will take mercy on you and myself. But once again, I had a little extra time this weekend to have fun with this little toy. I have this microphone going. I hope it sounds a little better. I got some software downloaded that maybe makes a little equalizer type thing. Uh, I'm not really investing a lot in this because it still is just kind of a fun hobby. But I hope you get a lot out, get a lot out of it. And the podcast thing is, once again, another feature that I'm going to try to offer as a way to communicate. I think it's just been great. A lot of my patients that I see in the office uh, just kind of come in, they're prepared. They've kind of like heard things that, or read things that I've uh, talked about. So I think this just, once again, is a really great communication tool. If nothing else, I don't think it's going to take over the world. I'm definitely not going to hang up my day job, but I do appreciate your support. And hopefully, um, hopefully you like this podcast and I'd love to get some feedback from you. So please uh, leave a comment or two. And once again, hope you have a great rest of the weekend. And I'm not sure when this is going to drop. I might put it on Monday because, uh, you know, I don't know if anybody listens to anything on the weekends. But anyway, have a, hope you had a great weekend if it drops on Monday and look forward to the next podcast with you. Take care.